We're going to spend just a couple minutes in the book of Ruth, and this is one of my favorite books of the, the whole Bible. This is a beautiful, beautiful text, the first chapter, all the chapters, because it's a love story. If you like love stories, I, uh, I usually will say in front of my wife that I do not. She likes to watch those sappy movies we often call chick flicks, and I pretend that I'm way too manly for that. The truth is, sometimes I like them. In fact, if we're going to be honest, I've even shed a tear or two at the romantic ending of the stories. But none of them compare with this love story. In fact, this book of Ruth is actually three love stories. And let me show you what they are. Like any other good love story, it begins badly. It begins with problems. It begins with, with some sort of catastrophe. And this story, this love story, begins with a lot of brokenness and failure. We have Naomi and, and her husband and, and her sons leaving Israel. And why? Because at the end of Judges, we are told, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was just a free-for-all just a, a free-for-all of, of sinfulness and, and wrongdoing. And to top it off, there's famine. It's not even food to eat. The two often go together. So they flee. Naomi and her family flee this, this brokenness, this place of sin, and they seek greener pastures with their family in a country called Moab. Now, Moab, though close by, was not exactly a great place to go. In fact, Moab himself, the father of the country, we're told in Scripture, was a child of incest. And this country now exists as a pagan country full of idols and, and the worship of things that in no way would be pleasing to God or a true Israelite. But things get worse. After they've been there about 10 years, we're told in, in the first chapter of Ruth, verse 5, that Naomi loses both her husband and her sons. Her entire family dies. I mean, this is terrible stuff. But it gets even worse. Because in those days, as, as many of you may know, if you were a woman without a husband or without a family, you had no way to support yourself. You were, you were destitute. How do you take care of yourself? You can't just go to college and get a job. This wasn't exactly a time of equal rights. If you were a woman without a husband, without sons, you had nothing. In fact, Naomi is so unhappy with this state in life. Her own, in her own words, in verse 20 of chapter 1, she even changes her name to Mara, which means bitter. She says, I am left empty with only bitterness and sadness. But like many other love stories, this one starts off with misery, emptiness, nothing. Naomi has nothing. Nothing for herself, nothing to give anybody else. So she's there left with her two daughters-in-law, one of whom, of course, is Ruth. And she tells them, very frankly, I've got nothing for you. You were born in this place of, of, of godless Moabites. I have nothing to give you. I can't feed you. I can't support you. Go home. All you can do is go back to where you came from and hope that maybe somebody else will marry you and you can survive. One of the daughter-in-laws finally agrees to, but not Ruth. 
And in Ruth 1.16, one of the most beautiful texts of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, do not urge me to leave you. Do not urge me to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. For where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. My goodness, this sounds like something out of West Side Story. I mean, this is just heart-clenching. This love for a woman and, and Naomi. Naomi's not her real mother, but she makes her her mother. She, she shows her a love and a commitment, even though Naomi has nothing to give her. Ruth voluntarily offers to Naomi her whole life, even her death, even though Naomi has nothing to give in return. That's the first love story. So Naomi and Ruth go to Bethlehem. They have no real means to support themselves. And because of this, this, Ruth survives by gleaning in a farmer's field. Now, gleaning was part of the Jewish law that allowed the poor to kind of pick up the remnants of the crops and the fields after the harvest. It was was something that was there to provide some level of sustenance for the, the beggars and the poorest of the poor. And this is what Ruth is reduced to because, again, she has nothing. Nothing to give, nothing to support herself. And as this inconsequential person is gleaning in the fields, she comes to be known by the owner of the fields, whose name is Boaz. And once again, although Ruth has nothing to offer, no dowry, no title, not even an Israelite, Boaz falls in love and marries her. But he doesn't just marry her. He, following the law and traditions of that time, redeems both her and Naomi, restoring them into a most wonderful and legitimate family, even taking this pagan girl Ruth and making her one of God's people. In Ruth 4.9, we see him standing before all the people. You are witnesses this day, says Boaz, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. These were the sons and also Ruth the Moabite. Boaz steps in and through a sacrifice his own, of his own, buys everything required to take Naomi and Ruth to turn them from being people of nothing, of misery and bitterness, and makes them whole. Again, they have nothing to offer, and Boaz is willing to give them everything. But that's only the beginning. For we see as we get near the end of the book, once all of this takes place, once these two love stories are made known, in Ruth 4.14, the best part of all, the women say to Naomi, remember Naomi, the, the bitter one, the empty one, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves the child in her arms and cared for him. Uh, I'm sorry, for your daughter-in-law is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth, and Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has had a son, they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Again, Naomi, Ruth, nothing, bitterness, emptiness, misery. Now, by the end of the book, stand before the people of Israel, Ruth with a child in her arms that will be the father of Jesse, 
who will be the father of David, who will be the beginning of the royal lineage of Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, our Lord. Nothing to offer. Bitterness, sinfulness, failure. Father of Jesse, the father of David, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And therein lies the third love story in the book. And that's your love story. Because of this lineage that leads to this Christ, Ruth's offspring, it now becomes your love story because our relationship with Christ is almost a mirror image of everything that happened between Naomi and Ruth and Ruth and Boaz. Our love story begins with brokenness and sin. It continues with us having nothing to offer but emptiness. But even though we have nothing to offer, amazingly, miraculously, Christ comes to us and says, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And where you die, I will die. And he redeems us. And he redeems us in both ways of of Boaz and, and Ruth. He redeems us as making us his family, this familial love. And then, according to the New Testament, he calls us his bride. Like Boaz and Ruth, he marries us. He makes us one with him. And I don't believe that he uses that word accidentally, but intentionally. He wants you to know that he loves you so much. We don't even have an earthly term to really describe it because he loves you with the love of a parent and a child like Boaz or like Naomi and Ruth. And he loves you as as a husband and a wife like Boaz and Ruth. He loves you as a bride in Christ. It's like God takes all the various loves that we can possibly know or imagine, squishes them all together, and says, this is what I have for you. The book of Ruth is your love story. In fact, every word of Scripture is in some way Christ saying, I love you, even though you have nothing to give him. In your baptism, he vows to take away your emptiness to make you whole, to forgive you, to hold you, to protect you and care for you, to love you today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. And every time you arrive at the Lord's Supper, every time you, you hear or read the words of God in Scripture, you are miraculously and indescribably taken into the arms of this person who loves you this much. And every time you come to the, the Lord's Supper, every time you face the words of God or hear them. If you listen closely, you will hear, I love you. That even though, like Naomi, you are empty, you have nothing to give me, you have nothing I want, even though, like Ruth, it will do me no benefit to be a part of you, even though you feel lonely and unloved and unworthy, I love you and I want you. Even though you have all these thoughts that fill your head that you are ashamed about every day, I see them, and I love you. Even though you can be lazy, a pain in the neck, a horrible roommate, I love you. Even though you did that thing that you can't even think about last year, you're so ashamed, I love you. And even though you did terrible on the philosophy midterm last week, I love you but you should study harder for the final exam. In your baptism, the supper, and in the word, Christ says, I love you so much, I will even die for you. 
And not just for humanity, not just for an idea or a concept as a whole, but for you personally. When Christ died on the cross, he knew your name and saw your face. When he breathed his last breath, he saw you. This is your love story. Whenever I read the book of Ruth, I'm always reminded of one of the very first weddings I ever did uh, as a pastor. I was very young, very idealistic, and uh, at that time, you, you get very excited about these things. You, you've not done very many, and you always want to do it perfectly. You usually have people somewhat supervising you at some level, so you always want to make everybody happy. And I had to do a wedding one day uh, because uh, someone at the seminary had to, uh, according to their story, had to be away and asked me to cover. In hindsight, I wonder if they might have done this on purpose, because when I get to the location of the wedding out in Riverside in the hills, it was this wonderful Hispanic family, farmers, and there must have been at least 400 people at this wedding. It was out in the open fields. They had constructed sheds with entire cows and pigs roasting over spits. I mean, this was a party, and the alcohol was flowing freely. And we get to the actual ceremony. I'm standing there very, very proper, and there's the groom with a big grin on his face, and the, the bridal march is playing, and everybody is standing and looking for the bride as she walks in with her attendants, and there is nothing. We wait, and there's nothing. The music keeps playing, and there's nothing. There's no bride. And at this young age of my life, I am panicking. No one taught me what to do if the bride doesn't show up for the wedding. What do we do? Finally, we just had to put a pause to everything and go hunt down the bride. And I find her in the kind of preparation area with her bridesmaids, and she evidently was so frightened and so nervous about the wedding, not only did she have way too much to drink, she took some sort of pill to help her relax early on, and she had either passed out or just kind of half asleep, had thrown up on the floor and was just laying there crying. And I thought, what do I do? This is horrible. What kind of woman would do this on her wedding day? And then her fiancé, her future husband, came in. And he looked at his bride laying on the floor, drunk, having thrown up and sobbing a mess. And he just started to laugh. And he walks over as a big man and picks up this woman in his arms. He said, Pastor, we have a wedding to do. And he carried her down the aisle and held her the whole ceremony until they were married. Because even though his bride was a mess, and I would have been really nervous to marry somebody like this, he loved her. He loved her no matter what. He loved her even sitting in barf, sobbing, and drunk. And that's what God's done for you. This is your love story. Every time you read the book of Ruth, know that this is what your God does because he loves you. Christ loves you, and through him, I love you. And because of this, take your love story, and for goodness sakes, share it with somebody.
The peace of Christ be with you. Amen.